morning. Good to be together, considering God's word together this morning. Open your Bible to Revelation chapter 20. If you're just joining us, we're continuing in our series through the book of Revelation, and just a few chapters to go. Smoke rises from the battlefield. The birds of prey gather for their feast on the slain. The last battle is over. The war between good and evil, between the king and the dragon, between the lamb and the the serpent is over. Never again will evil hold sway over the planet. Never again will the deceiver deceive. Never again will sin spread like a virus. The battle's over, but the earth is defiled. It's saturated in the sin and the filth and the blood of the wicked. We begin our passage looking out over the corpses of that battlefield. Yes, the enemies of God are defeated, but justice has not yet been done. Justice has not yet been accomplished. Stopping evil and judging evil are two different things. At this point, evil has been stopped. Glory to God. Much like uh, maybe an arsonist being arrested. That's good. Because once he gets arrested, he can't start any more fires. Right? But it's different to arrest the arsonist as it is to hold him accountable for his deeds. And so here, evil has been stopped. The enemy army is defeated. The time of war is over, but now the time of justice has arrived. Men and women will stand before the divine tribunal and be judged based on what they have done going to read this morning about the final judgment when men and women stand before the throne of God. And God will call us this morning to live in light of that view, to live with the end in view. So with that in mind, let's read together the end of Revelation 20, beginning in verse 11. Follow along. This is God's word. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. 
the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Father God, it is difficult to imagine a passage more sobering. Pray for your spirit here. Lord, that those who need to be sobered would be sobered. And that those who need to be encouraged would be encouraged. By your word. In your name. Amen. So the passage begins and John looks and sees this great white throne and the one who is seated on it. The throne is great. It speaks to perhaps the size, but really the majesty and the dignity and the honor of that throne that John sees. It speaks for itself. The throne is white. It speaks to the the purity of the throne, the righteousness and the wisdom of the one who sits in judgment over all mankind. But the first thing we see has nothing to do with mankind. It's back in verse 11. sees the great white throne and him who's seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. No place. Earth and sky. This is just ways of speaking to all of creation, right? The earth and the heavens. We could say from our in our modern vernacular, the earth and the universe. Flee from the throne. This is a remarkable picture. The creation fleeing from its creator because the creator has sat down in wrath to judge. And creation simply melts before him from one end of the universe to the other. There is no place found for the created order anymore. There's nowhere for them to go. We've seen this throughout the book of Revelation, it's been pictured, as Revelation does, it speaks in pictures, pictured in different ways. Uh, Once it was talked about this great earthquake that would shake everything to the ground. Another, it speaks of, of islands and hills being cast down and removed before the presence of God, or stars being thrown down to earth. Revelation 6.14 talks about it this way. It says, the sky vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up. What does that even look like? John saw that, and that's that's how he thought to communicate. The sky was rolled up like a scroll, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. The sky vanishing like a scroll being rolled up. We just sang a song with those words. The sky will be rolled up as a scroll. I'll remind you, O Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The sky be rolled up as a scroll. The trump shall resound and my Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Friend, if, if, if on that day, even so, it is well with your soul, praise God you are in Jesus Christ. Praise God that being in Jesus Christ means that even on that day, that day when the sky be rolled up as a scroll, that there will be those who say, it is well. It is well with my soul. 
because of the work of Christ. This is the, the end of this creation that we're reading about. Uh, Peter tells us about what John is seeing here. He talks to us about it in 2 Peter 3.10. He says, the day of the Lord will come. The heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. We're reading then about the end of the world. The end of creation. We just finished the end of chapter 20. The next verse, the beginning of chapter 21, actually adds a little bit of clarity to this, where it says this, chapter 21, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Okay, so that's what we're reading about right here. This passing away happens when God sits down upon the throne, and no place is found anymore for his creation. But we gain some language here, some biblical language, which is helpful. It's not just the end of the world. It's the end of the first creation. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Praise God, there's a new heaven and a new earth in the very next verse that are coming to take the place. But the first heaven and the first earth, the, the smoking wreck that is the battlefield after the last battle, the blood-stained ground that received the blood of Abel from the hand of Cain and the blood of every other one killed over thousands of years of human history. The creation that witnessed every evil wrought by mankind finally purged and made clean. And there's no more curse upon the ground. The first part of the final judgment is surprisingly, perhaps, God's judgment on the sin-stained world. But now he turns to those who brought sin into the world, those whom he had given dominion over the world back in Genesis chapter 1. He turns to men and women. All of humanity is gathered before him. Verse 12, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. It is the great and the small. It is, it is to say, both ends of the continuum. You will find yourself on this continuum somewhere. You're probably not at the far end of great. You're probably not at the far end of small. But you're on the continuum somewhere. And everyone is included. Everyone will be there. From presidents to prisoners. From senators to students bosses and employees, everyone, the great and the small, will be gathered. And then in verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. So the, the sea gives up its dead, death and Hades too. So think about what this means for a moment. Death gives up its dead. This is a funny thing to even try to wrap our minds around. What is being said there. Well, the, the great enemy that we all face in this world is death. The enemy that, that, that each of us will one day face is death. And this enemy is surprisingly overcome right here. Death gives up the dead. 
this is a way of speaking of resurrection. There will be a 100% resurrection of humanity, of all of humanity, the, the evil and the good, the saved and the unsaved, the small and the great, will rise from the grave to stand before the throne. Everyone, each one, standing before the throne of God. And it is, it is remarkable to even consider this sea of people because it's people from every continent. It's people from Adam, the first person, to the very last one born. It's from every age who spoke every language. It's every single person standing on that day. It's the picture of a courtroom, really, as God sits in judgment. Perhaps you've been in a court. Virginia has this thing. Uh, it might be new to you if you're a little bit older, because it wasn't this way, at least when I was a kid. Virginia has this thing. When you go to get your license, your driver's license, you have to go and get it from a judge in a courtroom with your mom or dad. So I've had the privilege, and it is a privilege, it's fun, to do this four times now, my four oldest kids. So, you know, you get there early, you stand outside, you're all dressed up because it's court. They're very specific about what you can and can't wear. So, you know, everybody's dressed up, everybody's standing out there. Then you, they open the outside doors, you go in, you go through the metal detector, enter the court, you go past the, you know, intimidating looking officers who are all kind of standing there, whose whole goal is to intimidate you, and they succeed. Then you line up outside the courtroom. Finally, a deputy opens the door, lets you come in. Everybody's filing in. This might be a group, say, 50, you know, kids and their parents filing in, taking seats, like the pews that you're sitting in, but in a courtroom. And everybody sits in, and no one talks. Every time, no one talks. File right in, sit down, just waiting, silence. All of a sudden, a front door opens. A deputy comes out. All rise. Boom, everybody stands up. And the judge walks in in their robe and takes their seat. And I'll tell you what, you know that you're there for a good reason. You know you're not in trouble. You know you're just there. Like, it's not even for me, it's for my kid. I'm not even really needed. It's to get a driver's license. But there is an awe-filled dignity sitting in a court when you know you're not getting in trouble and when it's just a human being that sits on the throne and what kind of day will this be when humanity gathers is resurrected to stand in that courtroom before the judge whose throne is white and great and get this this is the rest of creation just got out of dodge the rest of cre everything else he made melted. But not you. Not me. All of creation is gone, but we will stand before the throne. And while this will be a giant group of humanity, there won't be that sense of hiding in the back either. 
though I think the desire for that will be rather strong. A sense of maybe just keep moving to the back of the line, stand right behind some the person in front of you, you know. Because this is not a group judgment. It is an individual judgment. Verse 13 says, They were judged, each one of them. Each one. Not the group, not the nation, not the team, not the family. Each one, everyone, one by one. Young people in this room. Young people, listen for a moment, please. Maybe you were in children's ministry last year or two years ago. Maybe, maybe you're transitioning into youth group or you've been in youth group. Listen, young people, listen. When you stand there, your parents will not speak for you. Your family will not have a word for you in your defense. You will stand before your God and maker. You will. You will. Which is why this passage calls us to live with the end in view. And to, to be young is to think there is no end. It is the most remarkable thing. Young people sit in a room full of old people and imagine they won't get old. But we all do it. It's amazing. Forgive me if I just said that they're sitting in a group of old people. Sorry. Older, Older people. Older. Thank you. Thank you. But it is. To be young is to think you'll never get old. To be young is to think there is no judgment day. You will get old. God willing. And there is a judgment day. So live in light of that day. Please. And parents. Christian parents. Here is the goal of parenting. Here is the ultimate goal of parenting. Now listen, no parent can save their kid. Can't do it. Can't, can't affect that, but, but by the strength God provides, we can aim for that. We can, we can counsel towards that and discipline towards that and teach towards that and love towards that and forgive towards that and talk about that and pray towards that over and over and over. This is the goal of parenting. Are you getting them ready for college? Are you getting them ready for their first job? Getting them ready to be productive members of society? Getting them ready for middle school? Listen, get them ready for this. Because this is the day of all days. Let us aim all of our parenting efforts and prayers towards this and live with that last day in view. Okay, so, the company gathers. You see the gathered company. The judge takes his seat. All rise. John says, I saw the dead, great and small, verse 12, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And down in 13, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. So books are opened, and the dead are judged based on what they have done. So what are these books then? These are books of deeds. These are books of record. 
They are the basis upon which judgment is rendered. So what are in these books? What you have done. What are in these books? This is the basis upon which God judges the world. God will judge every man and woman and child based upon what they have done. And what they have done, he is meticulously and perfectly recording in these books. Now, on the good, the good news for you, you're not going to be judged based on anyone else's sins. You're going to be judged based on the sins of your parents or your president or anything else. The bad news is, neither will you have anyone else to point to. Because you will be judged based on your sins, for which you and you alone are accountable to God. There are, perhaps, for you sitting here, many sins that you can remember right now, which are in those books. And they are all there. There are also, of course, many sins you have forgotten. They are in the books too, because books don't forget. And they are all there. And there are many sins that at the time you didn't even recognize as sinful. They were sinful, and they are written, every one of them, in that book. Oh, those severe and terrible books. Oh, those severe and terrible record of debt. It is terrible, for it holds within it all the wickedness of mankind, person by person. It is terrible because it holds the force of law that comes with it. It's terrible because it's permanent. It's unalterable. It's not written in pencil. It's permanent ink. It's Sharpie marker. Written indelibly. And it is severe. The books are severe because they are unyielding. Forgets nothing. There's no negotiation. The penalty is great. The penalty is great. Throughout the Bible you'll see that the wages of sin is death. God kindly told humanity this before they sinned. The day you eat of it, you will surely die. But despite the warning, of course, man jumped in and sinned. Still they ate. That warning is throughout the Old Testament law. Wages of sin. Throughout the Old Testament, prophets appealing people to turn around and repent. It's throughout the warnings of the New Testament that the wages of sin is death. But now in Revelation, we see more. We see with more clarity that it is not merely physical death which is threatened in those warnings. Verse 14 says that Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Then it tells us, this is the second death, the lake of fire. So the wages of sin is death. 
the first death and the second death. So that's the penalty that God speaks of. Wages of sin is the first death, physical death, and it is the second death, the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is the death which is a living death, an unending death, an eternal punishment, a nonstop judgment against sinners for their sins. This is the death of which the warning speaks. This is the death which should be feared. Remember what Jesus said back in Luke? He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do to you. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him who holds in his hand authority over the second death. Books are opened. Deeds are recounted. Judgment is pronounced. And then justice is done. And justice is done in direct proportion to the deeds just discussed. It's the very essence of just judgment. Right judgment. A fair hearing. The weight of hell will be neither one ounce too heavy nor one ounce too light, but directly apportioned to each one according to what they have done. How severe and terrible are these books of debt? Nothing could be worse. Nothing could be worse. Nothing could be worse than standing before God on that day and having Him open that book of death and judge you accordingly. How severe and how terrible is that book of death? To say this is a dark place, is this the darkest corner? It is the most terrible day of which we speak. And it is into this darkness that the gospel shines most brightly. It is into this darkness. Even here, if the darkest place, oh, does the gospel shine in the darkest place and shine it does right here i'm going to talk about the gospel from the book of colossians colossians chapter 2 if you want to look at it these are words well fitted for this scene because these are words penned with this day in mind with the final judgment in mind we have all heard hopefully since childhood that Jesus forgives sins. Amen, he does. Ah, but these words. Colossians 2, verse 14, it says that God has forgiven us all our trespasses. But then it says, by canceling the record of debt, by canceling the record of debt 
that stood against us with its legal demand. It says that Christ has forgiven us by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. What is the good news of the gospel? The good news is the canceling of the severe and terrible news. That's the good news of the gospel. It's the canceling of that record of debt that was held against you. Do you see those books on divine shelves? Oh, how many books. Never seen such a library. A great and terrible library. Book after book. How many books bear my name? It's possible to contain it in one. Picture one book with your name. All the filth, all the wrong, all the evil, all the, all the thoughts and the words and the deeds that you've done against God. Do you see that book? See that book uh, with your name on it. And then Colossians tells us that book, before the judgment day, that book comes off the shelf by divine hands. No, no, no man could mess with that library. No angel could touch what's there. But divine hands reach up. Take that book off the shelf. Hold it up and nail it to the cross. Oh. And it's as though that book suddenly, you go to the worst page, that one you never want anyone to read, and you look, and it's just being erased just being erased. And then, and then pages are being cut out and thrown in the fire. Whole chapters are removed and suddenly the entire book is gone. Colossians 2.14 He canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. How is it that the judge does this? How is it? Is he just some capricious judge, you know? Sometimes he judges sin, and sometimes he doesn't. And I'll tell you what, don't be on the bad side, because he's going to judge it in full force. And some he's just going to sweep it under the rug. That is not what this verse speaks of. Because he doesn't sweep anything under the rug. No, he nails it to the cross. That's how he deals with our sin. He took that book, that terrible and severe book, and nailed it to the cross. Just a picture. Just an image, but what a picture. What an image. A book being driven through with nails. Held in place with wrathful blows. But it is just an image. But we know that on the cross, it was not a book that was nailed, but a man. And it was not that the book got nailed to the cross, but as it were, affixed to Christ. He, as Sean read earlier today, he became sin. He carried our sin. He bore our sin. That book was affixed to him 
And that book affixed him to the cross. How severe and terrible that record of death. And how wonderful and gracious and kind is the Savior who bore it for us. Friends, is there any better news in all the world? That the gospel would carry us from this day, as in today, through this day? Christ is enough today and tomorrow and the next day and on this day too. Glory be to God. So, part of living with that day in view is worshiping Jesus. <laughs> part of living with that day in view is saying, Amen, thank you Lord for what you have done for me. Thank you Lord for what you took for me. So now let's look back to Revelation. We see the judge's bench with those books, those terrible books opened upon the bench, but then look, look, there's another book, another one, 12, chapter 12, uh, verse 12. Saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, books were opened, then Another book was opened, which is the book of life. Ha. Oh, glory. There's another book, friends. There's another book, a better book. It belongs to the Lamb. It's the Lamb's book of life. This, glory to God, is not a book of deeds. It's a book of names. Glory to God. It's just a book of names. And within it, is the name of every person for whom Christ died. Within it is the name of every person whom God, before the foundation of the world, chose in Christ to be saved. Within it is the name of every person who has ever called upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Every name of every one of His is in that book. So let me ask you this morning, the one question you must ask this morning, is your name in that book? Because that's the book that matters. Is your name in that book? If your name's in that book, he has already taken on your behalf the other book, the terrible and severe book. He took that one for you and bore it to the cross. Is your name in this book? Now, you might say, I don't know. And I would say, I agree. I can't know whether your name is in that book. The names in that book are, are for God to know and will be revealed on the last day. But I can't ask you this. Have you repented of your sin? Have you repented? Don't worry about whether... God chose you in eternity past to be saved. Worry rather if you have cried out to God to be saved. Cry out to the Lord to be saved, and He will not turn you away. Cry out to the Lord to be saved, and each one, everyone who does so, will be saved. And everyone whose name is written in that book 
is spared the second death. Because Christ, have you thought about this on the cross, what he did? He bore both deaths. The cross. The physical suffering of death was just the picture. Not just horrible, but it was com compar comparably just the picture of the weight of hell that he bore. For all of his people, for everyone whose name is written in this book. Everyone whose name is in that book will be spared the second death, but it says, verse 15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Ooh. Church, God's word. You've heard it. Now you know. Will you be silent with unbelievers who don't know? It's God's word. He's given us this warning that we could live with the end in view. So who are you going to tell about this? And how many times are you going to tell them and tell them and tell them and tell them? How frequently will you pray? It is so easy to kind of segregate our relationship with Jesus, which we are grateful for, from his calling to us to speak of Jesus. Oh, may he help us speak of him. To not forget such important realities. To not fear to speak of such vitally important realities. What more important reality is there to speak of than this one? To speak and tell and proclaim and plead and pray and repeat yourself for the sake of those who don't know. For there is still shelter to be found in Jesus. There's still shelter to be found in Jesus. There is still shelter to be found in Jesus. He doesn't turn anyone away who calls upon the name of the Lord. Praise God there's shelter to be found in Jesus. That's what we just celebrated with communion. Lord, thank you. Your body, your blood, your sacrifice. Jesus, thank you. So church, let's be those who live in light of this last day. Who, who have a kind of wellspring of worship because of that. If, if there's a day you think of this day, oh, may it draw us to Christ and draw us to praise again and again. When we think of this day, let it also draw us to speak the name of Christ to encourage brothers and sisters and to speak to the lost that others may find shelter in him. May he strengthen us to do so until that day. Amen. Worship team, come on up. Church, let's stand. Lord, I pray right now that perhaps there's one, perhaps there's more, who have yet to turn to you, who are on knife's edge considering it,
feel you pulling right now on their heart, oh Lord, give them the grace to just repent, to not clean up, not wait till tomorrow, but to trust you and to repent. Lord, would you do this? Lord, would you do this, we pray. Lord, we are grateful that when we stand on that last day, you will be our advocate. Jesus, our risen Christ. We're going to close in worshiping you for the sin that you bore on our behalf and the fact that you stand before the throne interceding and advocating on our behalf. Lord, receive our praise in your name.